Thank you, worship team. <laughs> that is a great song. I was so excited to heard it in first service. I'm like, man, I get to hear it again in second service. This is going to be great. So excited. Oh. I don't know if, how requests work, but if we can like request that every Sunday, I'd be perfectly happy with that. That's like kicking. <laughs> well, good morning to you. My name is Stephen. I'm the pastor of high school ministries here at Grace, and it's a, a great honor and privilege to be here. Pastor John Saway is getting so much uh, needed and deserved uh, rest and relaxation. Uh, this morning, I want to, uh, this morning's going to be kind of a bonus message. I don't know, we were trying to figure out what to call it. We were just calling it a, a bonus message with the, with the David series. It, it doesn't fall specifically in, in line with the series in that our, our current series is really focusing on David singing in the desert and really focusing on David's time in the wilderness when he was on the run from Saul and, uh, and the Psalms and that, that he composed during that time and just, um, you know, what was going on in David's life at that time. But uh, this message actually takes place much, da- much later in David's life. However, it still in so many ways reveals that, that, that man after God's own heart, that heart that just loves and trusts and is solely desiring the Lord and the Lord's glory. Um, and so uh, this morning I, we're going to look at the, what happens when God says no and how do we respond And this isn't specifically about how he how when he, the, the times when he says no to to sin in our life, no to our desire for sin, or times when we are running from him, times when we are not in his will. But it's it's specifically times when really the opposite is true. Times when we are walking in step with God, when we're desiring his when his will, when we're desiring to do the things that honor him, when we're desiring to hear his voice or or please him, or live a life that honors him. And yet, sometimes when that happens, God still closes doors in our life. When that happens, sometimes God still says no to things that we, that we think and want and, and, and things that are the, the right things. And it's difficult, um, one, because we, we, we assume that we're within God's will. And it's also difficult because hearing that word no is, is not easy to hear. And we, we often compose these phrases that make it feel, make, try and make us feel better about it. We try and say things like, oh, well, when God closes a door, he opens another one. Or when God open, closes a door, he opens a window or something like that. And, well, that's great and fine, but it's not always very comforting when you've just had a door closed in your face. And it's not, it's not always a word that we like to hear. It's difficult because the word no seems so authoritative and so judicial and so like, you know, this is wrong and this is right and rules are, are you know, the word no establishes rules and boundaries and things you're not allowed to do and not allowed to, to happen. Um, a great illustration came yesterday. This is uh, the largest pair of scissors I have ever seen in my life. Th- these scissors remind me of like, the ceremonial red ribbon cutting scissors that you would see at like a grand opening or something like this. Our youth group, uh, the high school youth group, went to Magic Mountain yesterday, and one of our students brought these in her bag to the park. Not on purpose. It was purely on accident. I won't say her name. Her initials are Bailey Landtrip, and she, <laughs> she gave me permission to say that, by the way. Um, <laughs> 
by, by no means a student you would think would try and conceal a weapon into a theme park, but we, we get down there and, and we get off the bus and the bus, you know, takes us down there and is going to pick us up at the end of the night and the bus leaves, it drives off and we walk to the front gate and we pass out the students' tickets to them and all of a sudden, and, and we're going up to the metal detectors where they, you know, they search your luggage, make sure you're not bringing weapons and outside food and things like that into the park and she turns around and she's like, <laughs> She, Stephen, I may have accidentally brought a weapon here. And I'm like, and in my mind, I'm thinking like a nail file or something like that. Like she accidentally left in her pack and she pulls these things out. I'm like, what? put those away. What are you doing with those in your bag? And she goes, well, her, her, all her friends got together the night before and they made like matching t-shirts to match wearing around Magic Mountain. And she, these are her mom's fabric cutting scissors. And she just forgot that she had put them in her bag, obviously probably to take them back home, and she forgot to take them out. And so, like, ah. Okay, we obviously are not going to get, like, take these into the park. They're going to set off the metal detector. And, and so we're like, well, the bus just drove off, and I don't want to throw your mom's good fabric scissors away. So we're like, okay, what do we do? And so... We look like a bunch of hooligans. We, we like walked over to a sh her and myself and Debbie Scroggins. We like walk over to a bush and we go <laughs> and we dropped them into the bush and we're like, I hope they're there at the end of the night. And like no one's walking around Magic Mountain with some like horrible weapon. Sure enough, they were there at the end of the night. And I'm like, Bailey, can I borrow those? Because those are going to be a great illustration for tomorrow. <laughs> sure. So... But see, we, we often associate the word no with that. No, you can't do this. No, you can't bring weapons into the park or selfie sticks, which also, by the way, I forgot to say this, two selfie sticks also got hidden in the bushes as well from our students. Apparently can't bring those in the park either. <laughs> but we need to consider our response when we hear that word no from God. Do we see it as just some like, some fun, spoiling, old, authoritative, old guy who's just out to, you know, keep us from having, you know, what we want? Or do we see a, a father that cares for us and desires our best? You parents probably say the word no more than anyone else, especially probably you parents of, of young children. I imagine that, that your children secretly act, actually, like, get along really well, and before you get up, they get together— and they're like, all right, number one and number three, your guys' job today is to just fight like crazy. And, and number one, your job is to ask dad things that mom already said no to. And then number two, your job is to snitch on them like constantly and keep track of how many times they say no. Currently, our record is 938 times they said no. If we work together, we can break a thousand. Okay, ready? Hands in team on three, okay? And we think that that's like what are, you know, I think your kids do that because they just, and, and you parents at the end of the day, you think like, good grief, do I say anything but the word no? We got to remember that God isn't like that. But God does say no. David hears that word no from God. And the text that we're going to read is 2 Samuel 7. If you've got your Bible, open up to that. And I think this, this section is actually broken into, if you were to, to break this section up, you could break it up into three sections. It's, it is David's communicates his desire to build God's temple. 
And in the second section is God's, resp- or it's God's response to David's desire. And the third section is David's response to God's answer. And we're going to really focus primarily on David's response because it is one of the most beautiful responses, I think, in all of Scripture when someone hears the word no. While you're turning there, I'm going to give you just a quick background of this text. As I, as I said, this, is, this text takes place much later in, in David's life. David is already established as the king. Saul has been dead for some time. Uh, Jerusalem has been established as the central capital of Israel. If you remember, that wasn't the, the, um, that wasn't the case earlier in David's life. Uh, it was in David's heart to establish Jerusalem as the capital. David had long since God leading him to do that. David's enemies had been defeated. The ark, which was the, the physical representation of God's presence, the, all of worship and all of, all of the glory, glorifying of God really ultimately revolved around the ark. The ark has been bought, brought into Jerusalem. And finally, David has time on his hands. And you probably know what that's like to finally, you know, there's probably seasons of your life where you finally have a little time on your hands and you start getting to those things that you've been putting off for so long. You know, you can finally fix that faucet that has been giving you fits for months and years. You can finally paint that room. Well, David is getting to his, to his long-standing to-do list, and the, his, his greatest desire was to build the temple. So we're going to read this entire section. Again, we're going to focus on the third, on the third section of this chapter. 2 Samuel 7. Now the Lord had given him, speaking of David, rest. Uh, now, the, now, now when the king had lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go, tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought you, I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling in all places where I was moved, where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus says, Thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more, and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you, re- I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled in your life, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure 
forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Verse 18, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind. O Lord, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all of this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, Israel? the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken with your blessing. With your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Long section, I know, but what a beautiful response to a beautiful promise from God. Isn't this just like our God? We think about how this dialogue went down. If you think about it like this, David desires to build a temple for God and communicates that. God responds, and instead of just saying, eh, no thanks, I'm good, or eh, I'll pass, no, no problem, don't worry about it, David, I've, I've, got my, I've already got plans in place, you don't have to worry about that. No, no, I'm good. Instead of saying that like we would, you know, probably say, God says no. But then he goes on and he says, instead of you building me a house, listen to what God promises. David, instead of you building me a house, a temple, I will establish all of, nation, all of Israel as a permanent nation. I will let your son build a temple. I will build you a dynasty. In other words, I won't let you build me a house. Instead, I'm going to build you a forever house, a permanent house. I will establish the reign of your family forever. You will forever have a descendant who sits on the throne. Think about that. That is a profound response. Isn't our God good? Isn't he rich in mercy? Isn't that just like him to just, despite what we truly, really, we don't deserve a whole lot. Despite that, he just pours his blessing out on us. He gives us so much. And I don't mean just physical stuff because that's so just so minuscule and compared to what God truly legitimately just 
pours out on us, his blessing, his goodness, his favor, his mercy, his love, his redemption. This section is what we call the Davidic covenant. And it, it does point ahead towards David's next to, to his son Solomon, who was going to be the one to build the temple, but it points ultimately towards Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, David's direct descendant, was going to be the one who would sit on the throne forever. And his throne wasn't a, a physical throne like David's was. God's throne and God's kingdom, as we've been talking about, God's kingdom isn't this physical border and boundaries like we have in our mind when we think of a throne and a kingdom. God's, God's kingdom is in your life and, and in mine. His kingdom is doesn't have borders. It has, it has hearts. It has your heart and mine. And as we bow the knee to Jesus, as we make him king and Lord in our life, we are growing his kingdom. And as we are the light in the world, and as we share his gospel with others, and as that kingdom grows in their hearts, the boundaries and the borders of his kingdom grow as they grow in the hearts of others. And what's really amazing, this really came to my mind, this was really profound to me as I, as I kind of dwelled on this a lot over this week, and that's that this prophecy is actively, ongoingly coming true in your life and in mine, because God promised David that he would establish the reign and the kingdom of David forever. And that is actively, ongoingly coming true in your life and in mine, because God is king in our, when God is king in our lives, we are fulfilling actively this prophecy. And because the Lord was the Lord and king of David's life, he could trust God and worship him even though God said no. Because David, in David's heart, wasn't on the throne. David was on the physical throne of Israel. But in David's own heart, God was on the throne. And because of that, when God said no, David was okay with that. And that's our main point this morning. Your main point is, if the Lord is king in our lives, we will trust his no. If the Lord is king in our lives, if he sits on the throne of your life and in mine, not us, who we, we, we so often, we want, so often want to just kick God off the throne, don't we? But if, but if he truly sits on the throne in our hearts, we will trust him when he says no. And we hear no, David had the, David was able to hear no verbally from the prophet Nathan. But we hear no from God sometimes when we get, when we get bypassed, maybe, for a promotion. Maybe there's a, a job opportunity that we really have our eyes set on, and we want, and we know, like, man, I am I'm qualified for this. I, would, I, I am confident I would do well in this area. This, is, this would be so great. This would be such a relief of stress to work here instead of in this, in this department. And maybe we get bypassed for that. Maybe someone else is given something that we are even more qualified for. Maybe we're just as qualified and we're still overlooked. Maybe, young people, maybe we hear it from our parents. Or maybe it's the school we're hoping to get into and that door shuts. Or maybe it's a romantic interest we're pursuing and that guy or girl says, no, I heard that many times, including from my wife, by the way. Or maybe we have heard this when we've prayed for healing, when we've prayed for, for God to, for a miracle to happen, for someone that we love truly to be healed, or maybe a, a personal illness or physical issue that we're struggling with, and we're praying for, for relief, or we're praying for healing from that, and sometimes the answer is no. Paul even prayed this in 2 Corinthians 12. 
He says, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. God, or even, even Paul prayed for relief for cert, from certain things. And David has fought, literally, we always use that, you know, I fought to get here. We say that figure. David literally fought to get here. Most of his life, he fought to get to this point. His, this was his heart for years and years. This was a dream of his since his youth, and yet God tells him no. But that didn't discourage David. That didn't cause him to lose faith because David desired God's kingdom and glory and not his own. The temple was never about David. David knew who truly sat on the throne. And how do we do this? How do we keep God on the throne of our lives even when he says no to us? Three different things I think really come out of this text. Your first one, if you're, if you're taking notes, is that we trust his no by acknowledging his greatness and his grace. We trust his no by acknowledging his greatness and his grace. In other words, when you hear no in your life, your response should be start counting your blessings and start thinking about who it is that has truly blessed you. David's immediate response is to acknowledge God's grace. He, he doesn't respond by saying, why? But God, I work so hard for this. I'm going home. You know, I'm taking my ball and leaving. And he also doesn't respond by saying, well, of course you would establish your kingdom through me. I'm David. I'm super cool and pretty hot stuff. I'm pretty awesome. I killed Goliath and a lot of other people. He doesn't, you know, become proud and he doesn't become whiny. He doesn't question God or get mad or upset. He, it's really amazing if you stop and really read slowly through David's response, he really doesn't even bring up the temple. He doesn't even say like, okay, God, I, I understand. I really wanted to build a temple, but I, I, he really hardly even, he just responds by just saying, God, who am I? Who is David? Who is my house that you would be so gracious to me? He spends almost the entire time just reflecting on God's grace and God's goodness to him and how, God, and how great God is. He says things like, who am I? Who is my family that you should do this for me? This text says that he sits before God. That phrase, that, that, that terminology, you don't sit before God very often. That phrase isn't used very much, but it really kind of communicates this idea of, of a child sitting before his daddy. David, 10 times, says, refers to himself as your servant. He doesn't say I or me or anything like that. He keeps referring to himself as your servant. What a humble posture to bring before God. Folks, how often do we, when we come before God, is it just our, our list of requests that we have and we, he's just our, our go-to guy for, for all of our needs and desires and wants? How often do we just sit before our daddy and just humbly praise him for his grace and his goodness and his greatness. He is God and we are not. He is so great to us. David is amazed that such an amazing and great God would choose to so show him so much grace and favor. 
How often do we take time to reflect on God's greatness and great work in our life? And again, I'm not just talking about our stuff. I'm talking about the fact that, that Romans says we were enemies of God. Scripture says that we were opponents of God. We opposed him actively. Scripture, Ephesians says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And yet through God's grace, he gave us life. Through Jesus Christ going through the cross, we went from being his enemies to being his friends, from being his opponents to being called sons and daughters. Think of that. What, how amazing. And yet so often we struggle when we hear the word no. We struggle when he chooses not to open a door that we think we should have open for us. And yet we should just respond with such humble, amazing profound awe at his grace and greatness in our lives. David, there is a word that, that, there is a phrase that is so dangerous for us to utter, and that is, I deserve. I deserve. Don't we sometimes get that mentality? Well, I deserve that promotion, or I deserve that opportunity. Do you know how hard I worked? If anyone deserved to, to build the temple, it was David. No one thought about it more than David. No one fought literally to get there more than David. But he doesn't even say anything like that. Saul, King Saul was an I deserve kind of guy. I deserve this. I deserve recognition. I deserve this. David, David realizes that he deserves to be rejected by God. He, David's aware of his sinfulness and what he truly deserves, and he is in awe of God's grace. Our God is great and gracious, and his no in our life should never overshadow that reality. What was Paul's response? Well, I, talked to, I read that, that text from 2 Corinthians when Paul prayed for relief from this thorn in his flesh. And what was, Paul's, what, what was the answer that Paul heard? In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, each time he, talking about God, said to me, Paul, my grace is all you need. My grace is all you need. Folks, we need, to have that, we need to have that mindset. Number two, if you're taking notes, we trust his no by trusting that he is sovereign. We trust his no by trusting that he is sovereign. Sovereign, by the way, is one of those words I always have to like, how do you spell that out? S-O-V-E-R- E-I-G-N. <laughs> Just for, if you, if you struggle with spelling that word, you're among comfy because that's what I always have to stop and think and it always comes up in red in my Word document. I have to right click on it and autocorrect it. <laughs> we trust his no by trusting that he is sovereign. Sovereign is one of those churchy words and it basically means this. God's sovereignty, it, it, it's, it's referencing the exercise of God's all-knowing, right, perfect, and loving will through his ultimate power and his absolute power. It's, it's God being God. God is, is in control. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. He is good, and he is holy and righteous, and he is going to do what he knows is best. He knows way better, more than us, and he is, um, he is the one who's in charge. We see such a small part of the picture, and God, he doesn't just see the big picture. He sees the whole picture. He is the painter of the picture, and he is in control. 
What does verse 20 say? I love how, Dave, how David's response is in verse 20. One of his first responses to God. He says, you know your servant. You know your servant. He doesn't say, I know what I want, God. He says, you know me better than I know myself. You know what's best. Again, how often do we tell God what he should do? How often do we tell God that we know what's best for us and what we need and what we want and what he should give us? because we are entitled to it and we deserve it. You parents, how often do you say no to your kids, not because you love to spoil their fun, but because you know what's best for them? How often do you say no out of your immense love for them, out of your immense desire for their best interest, for their health, for their safety? I think that word no versus yes, is one of those striking differences between parents, the, between the role of parents and grandparents. You grandparents, are you right? Do you, like, there is like this mutation, I think, that happens when, suddenly, when someone suddenly becomes a grandparent to where it's like, sure, you can do that. I don't care. I'm not your parent. You know, I just want you to love me. When my parents became grandparents, this was like, my, my, my siblings and I, we got together and we're like, who are these people? What the heck? Why are they buying this stuff? We never got this. When my parents, I remember when, when my parents became grandparents, suddenly there was like one of those half, one of those like dome climbing structures that just like appeared in our, my parents' yard. I, we, I drove into my folks' house. I'm like, when did, when did my parents get that? I never had that growing up. My parents bought a trampoline. We never had a trampoline growing up. Those were dangerous. And then my parents become grandparents. Like, sure, we want the kids to love coming over here. So, you know, we get a trampoline. A zip line. My parents bought my grand, my, their grandkids a zip line for Christmas and put it in the yard. A zip line? My, my nephew got a BB gun when he was like four. I, like, who are you people? What are you doing? We never got that. For fun, my dad was like, here, here's a weed whacker. Go, you know, take care of the yard. <laughs> which, my, which my brother and I actually r realized is a lot of fun when my brother would like throw rotten fruit at me and I would like catch it in the weed whacker, which was hilarious. So, you know, you gotta have fun with it somehow. But you parents recognize and realize that the word no comes out of your Im immense love and the fact that you are aware of much more than your child is aware of. The fact that you see much further down the road. You are aware of consequences that result from those actions. And so you don't say no because you're just trying to spoil their fun. You say no because you love them so much more um, than they can realize. We must remember that God is God. He is the Lord Almighty King, and we are nothing. He sees so much more than us. How often have you looked back, by the way, how often have you looked back at, at instances in your life, you're probably thinking of them right now, times in your life when you, when you think, I am so glad that that door closed. Like that's something I wanted so much, and yet that door closed, and that hurt in the moment, but I am so grateful looking back now. That would have changed my life from what it is dramatically. I am so grateful. God knew what he was doing when, this, when he allowed this to happen. It's important that we remember those times and we remember them now when you, when you face doors closing in your life. The next time you hear the words, I'm sorry, but we're going to go in a different direction. I'm sorry, but someone else has been chosen for this occupation. The next time you face rejection, 
you need to remember that God is God and he is gracious and loving and you also need to remember that God is sovereign. Number three is that we trust his no by obeying his yes. We trust God's no by being obedient in his yes. What I mean by that is that when God tells us no, we don't just take our toys and get mad and go home. We don't just stop serving him entirely. His no to one thing in our life is not a no to everything. When he, when he shuts one door here, he's not saying, all right, I just sit back and relax. He, there are still areas where he is calling us to serve, when he's calling, where he's calling us to be his representative, to be his ambassador, to serve him, to grow his kingdom. When David hears no that he's not going to build the temple, he doesn't just say, well, fine, and I'll just kick back on the throne and do nothing, and I will just waste my time, and just whenever I die and Solomon takes over, he can build the temple, and I'm just going to just enjoy my days and party it up. He doesn't do that. In First Chronicles, First uh, Chronicles kind of mirrors parts of, of, of uh, this section in this story. And First Chronicles tells the story of when David hears that Solomon's going to build the temple. And First Chronicles 22 reveals what David does long after. After Solomon has been born and is growing up, David keeps himself busy. David continues to serve the kingdom and serve the Lord. First Chronicles 22, it says, Then David said, Here shall be the house of the Lord God. He's speaking of like a physical where it's going to be established. And here the altar of burnt offering. David commanded to gather together the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel, and he set stone cutters to prepare dressed stones for building the house of God. He provided great quantities of iron for nails, for the doors of the gates, and for clamps, as well as bronze in quantities beyond weighing, and cedar timber without number. In other words, David continues to serve the Lord in areas where God said yes. God said, you're not going to build the temple, but he was still allowed to establish all the raw, to get all the raw materials together to do a lot of the prep work. Uh, you know, you, you people who are, who are handy, that prep work, that's usually the hardest part, especially painting. I, I hate painting because I hate the prep work. That, you, know, all the, you have to tape everything off and you have to you know, measure everything out. And you have to you know, figure out the right colors. And oh my gosh, it's so much work. It's just a pain. But I mean, David does all of kind of the behind the scenes, the prep work, the stuff that's not going to get any recognition, but he wasn't interested in his own glory and his own kingdom. He was interested in God's glory. And if that meant that he wasn't going to build a temple, so be it. But if he could continue to serve the Lord and get all of the prep work done ahead of time, the work that behind the scenes where he wasn't going to get any recognition, but where God was going to be glorified, he was okay with that. And so he does, so he does all the prep work. He, he you know, prepares the ground for Solomon to come in and make his job of building the temple easier. There are still things to do. There was still work to be done. He's not just killing time. Folks, we can so easily focus on those negative no's. No, I'm not qualified for that position. I'm not qualified to serve here. There's not, there's not a need in this area of ministry. I'm just going to kick back and, and sit in the chair and come in on Sunday mornings and then leave and just go about wasting, you know, killing, killing time. Folks, that's, we need to not be about that. 
We need to be about the business of, of obeying God in his yes. Where is he leading you? As long as we have breath in our lungs, he is still calling us to serve him somewhere, to expand his kingdom, to grow his glory, to be a light in this world, to spread the gospel. Where is he calling you to do that? He might be shutting doors in one area, but there is still a yes. There is still some area, some place that he is calling you to serve and to obey him and to glorify him. And more than that, he is making you in his nose, more than that, he is causing you to trust him. He is causing you to rely on him. And through that, he is shaping you and he is forming you and he is making you into the image of his very own son, Jesus Christ, which is his ultimate goal and desire. But if we are to respond like David did, we have to trust him. We have to trust him in, in his nose. We have to trust that he is good. We have to trust that he is gracious. We have to trust that he is sovereign. And we have to obey when he calls us to do something, in the, in the yeses that he calls us to. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and other, some of our other church leadership is going to be up here. Uh, maybe you just need prayer. Uh, maybe you realize that there is an area in your life where God is shutting a door. Maybe he shut a door 20 years ago, and you're still struggling with that, and you're still wrestling with that. Maybe you need some prayer for something like that. We'd be up here and we'd be happy to pray with you. Or maybe, maybe you have never bowed the knee to Jesus. Maybe you realize that you are still sitting on the throne of your heart and you need to put Jesus there. You can pray with us and we'd be happy to tell you more about that. Pray with me. Gracious Father, you are, you are so good, far greater than we deserve. Uh, help us to be more like David. When we hear those words, no. Help us to just respond in praise and glory to you. Lord, we love you so much. Help us to love you more. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.